I've known this brother uh, now for uh, over a decade, probably more close to two decades now. He's a great friend, a great man of God, a great shepherd's heart. And if you've been in our fivefold ministry class, you realize how God wires us uniquely. You're going to hear, hear this morning from a great teacher's heart, and I believe a great evangelist's heart. Mike is a wonderful minister of the word. He preaches up at, or ministers up at his home church uh, in Menominee Falls, just outside of Milwaukee. He and his beautiful wife, Michelle, have been doing an amazing job loving the people there and loving wherever he goes. There's always a rich deposit from Michael wherever he's at. Uh, but I want you to stand to your feet. I want you to give him a, a very first time Livingstone's welcome as he comes to minister, Pastor Michael Free. Thanks, brother. Love you too. Thank you. Thank you so very, very much. Um, I just, I just want to reiterate something that uh, Pastor Ron said. First of all, it is a great honor to be in this pulpit and to have spent uh, the last several days here um, ministering with him at the Band of Brothers. On the other end, you guys have a spirit of excellence on this house, a spirit of hospitality, servants' hearts, graciousness. If anybody left here hungry after Band of Brothers, it's their own fault. <laughs> But I just, I just love being in life-giving places. Um, I want to do a, just a quick shout-out. One of the men that was, we brought about 20 men down here with us uh, that stayed over is uh, David Hallam. Uh, David came to us in about 1998. He's, he's British, okay, so if you talk to him, you'll pick up on that right away. Uh, but David and his wife, Trish, are intercessors, and he's been one of my personal intercessors for many years. I have three of them. They know everything I do, where I go, what I minister on, my flights, because i got to be praying. Uh, how, many, how many intercessors do we have in the house? How many prayer warriors? All right. Yeah, they're, they're the ones that are going to have the, um, the uh, lakefront property in heaven, okay? <laughs> Just really appreciate all the intercessors and people that do pray. I also want to say, too, that um, I'm so excited at what's happening down in um, this part of the region. I would say you're, you're more than becoming a regional church at this point and affecting the region. And I love, it's kind of like throwing stones in a pond. You see the ripples going over. And, and my, my belief is the ripples that are coming up from Indiana are going to cross over the ripples coming down from Milwaukee, and just we're going to just take this whole entire north uh, Midwest region. Can you say amen? Amen. So I would like to share some things. Um, I want to encourage you to take some notes because uh, God just may speak to you when you do that. Let's write some things down and talk to you about a part of Jesus' ministry that was very, very important. And we find this in Luke chapter 12, verse 16. We read this. Then he told them a story. Jesus liked to tell stories. He liked to illustrate spiritual truths with things out of everyday life. In my 20s, I, I lived and worked in Israel for about a year and a half um, in one stretch and I, I lived about an hour from Nazareth, and that's where Jesus grew up. And if you go there today, and I encourage you to go there, there is a place you can go in Nazareth, 
and um, it's run by Christians now, and they've, they've actually done archaeological excavations back to the time, first century, when Jesus lived there. And they've rebuilt things, and they are there in period clothing, um, enacting things that you would see during Jesus' lifetime. You see shepherds, you see carpenters, you see women weaving. It's, it's fascinating. And one of the things that they recently uncovered was a vineyard from the first century, from the time of Jesus. And it's very interesting. It's terraced because Nazareth is built on a hill. It's terraced, and then they uncovered the wine press, and there's a watchtower from the time of Jesus, the, the remains of it. So when Jesus is telling stories about vineyards and labors and, and watchtowers and all that, it's because it, he was familiar with it, and everybody that was listening to him could relate to what he was saying. So he's going to tell them a story, and the stories really, they were an invitation, if you will. In Luke chapter 8, verse 8, we read this. When he had said this, he called out, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And the disciples at that point were, you know, they, they were there, and, and, you know, when you're following your rabbi, you, you want to look smart, right, in front of everybody, and they're like, hmm, yes, I see, I see. But, but Jesus knew that they weren't seeing, <laughs> they weren't getting it. And so he went up, up to them afterwards and he began to explain to them. He says his disciples asked him because they came, what does this parable mean? And then in verse 10, it says he replied, and this was privately, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God. But I use parables to teach the others so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they look, they won't really see. When they hear, they won't understand. Now, why would Jesus say that? You know, didn't he want people to understand what he was saying? As a communicator, that's, that's the big deal. You want people to walk away understanding, having clarity, knowing more. But Jesus was saying something very, very interesting. And I want to give you three reasons why Jesus used parables, why he told stories, and this will help you. So the first thing I want you to write down is this. Jesus told stories to fulfill the Scriptures. He told stories to fulfill what the Scriptures said. Now Matthew's account of this incident is interesting. And a lot of people believe that first century tax collectors, and that's what Matthew was, had a shorthand because of all the information that they had to write down. So they, they actually knew a shorthand and many people now believe Matthew was writing these things down in real time as Jesus was saying them. So this is Matthew's account of what Jesus said about why he's telling stories. So in Matthew chapter 13, verse 14, Jesus says, This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, When you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. And this is why, for the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes so that their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. 
You know, the culture of Jesus' time is a lot like today. People were then and are now, they're jaded, they're cynical, they're skeptical, they're tired of being told one thing and given something else, over-promise, under-deliver. You know, they were a subjugated people. The Romans had come in and taken over their country. There was nothing that they could do about it. And so Jewish people were despised in the Romans' eyes. But even worse than that, the Jewish people, just the regular common people like you and me, were despised in the eyes of their leadership. The Pharisees and the Sadducees had a term for us. It was called the Am Ha'aretz, the people of the earth. Basically, he's calling us dirtbags. That's what that means. It's a derogatory term. And that's how the religious leaders viewed them and viewed us, the, the unwashed masses. And so Jesus wanted to reach out to these people, but he did it in a very, very strategic way. Here's the second thing I want you to write down. Jesus told stories to attract the interested. In Luke 8, verse 8, when he had said this, Jesus, he called out, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Isn't it great to be around people that are interested? Isn't it great that this whole room is interested in what's going on in this church? It's so unlike a lot of our college campus, our universities, our lecture halls, where people only come together to argue and debate and polarize and divide people. It's so wonderful when, when people want to hear and want to learn. And I believe Living Stones is the kind of church where people are hungry, you want the Word of God, you want it to change your lives. Is anybody out there like that today? Where you just want more of Jesus to be transforming you from the inside out. And so stories were told to attract people like that. They get our attention. Everybody loves a story. And today, one of the ways that we tell stories is through, through movies. Right now, as, as we speak, our church is doing this outreach called At the Movies, where we take stories that people are familiar with and, and we take film clips and then they film me, film me interspersing, drawing spiritual truths because cinematographers do such a great job at capturing the human condition. And so we leverage that and we turn our, our whole church into, the, into a cinema and our cafe is like yours. They, they serve, during this time, they serve popcorn and Slurpees and big sodas and so people are in there with their bags of popcorn in churches. <laughs> You know, the lights are going down. It's like, oh, here it comes on. And boom, you know, the whole place is rumbling just like a theater. And so right now as we're speaking, I'm on a giant screen, you know, sharing biblical truths out of stories that the lost are familiar with. See, we take all of October and do this because this is the one time that you can invite your friends and family to come, something very unique, and they come and they're like, man, this is so different, and then I give an invitation at the end, and people are getting saved, and we're always so excited about that because we're all about stories. We think in pictures. The third reason that Jesus told stories, and this one's interesting, Jesus told stories to deter 
the indifferent. So go ahead and write that down. He told stories to deter the indifferent. See, like today, some people just didn't want to hear the truth. They were resisting it. You know, they prefer just to go along in life, just bump along in life and have all sorts of issues in life. And maybe you know someone like that. These are people that are, are always struggling in, at work. They're struggling at, at school. They're stug, struggling in their interpersonal connections with people. They're prickly people. They're hard to get to know. They're, they're, they're just, I don't know, they're just always having a rough time. Their whole approach to life is just marked by skepticism and wait-and-see attitude. These people, they, they won't look past the exterior to find out what's happening on the interior. So they don't do well in relationships. You know, hundreds, maybe thousands of people drive Summit Avenue or Pratt where you guys are located and they see the church and they never wonder for a minute what goes on in there. Maybe they just reject the interior because they don't like the exterior. And they're missing out. They're missing out on being part of such a great and loving and amazing congregation. But you're not like that. You showed up today. You know, you're watching as we stream this. And by the way, for those that are watching, wherever you are right now, we just want to say, welcome home. And if you're a first-time guest here or a returning guest, we want to say, welcome home. In fact, Livingstones, come on, let's, let's say we are glad to see you. And if you're in the overflow, we're glad that you're here today. So what's the meaning of this particular story? After all, this is the one I thought would best help us today. So we're talking about vineyards, we're talking about vines and grapes, and um, I just want you to know that Michelle, she's really the, the outdoor person. She, she, loves, she loves the smell of dirt. She loves the smell of mown, mowed grass. You know, I, I'm not an outdoors guy by any stretch of the imagination. My idea of camping is opening up the window at a five-star hotel. That's, that's... But Jesus had a lot to say, and this is what Dr. Clark, one of my mentors, taught me. He says, a text without a context is a pretext. So I want to give you some context for this story. See, in Matthew chapter 19, a young man who is very well off, very affluent, calls him the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus and, and he said, sir, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, how do I get to heaven? And so Jesus relates to him and he says, you know the commandments, and he's referring to the Ten Commandments. What does it say? And then he recites a few of them about how to treat people and love God and, and all of that. He knew what they were. And then, he, and then he says this, and there was this tinge of pride in his voice. He said, but Master, I've kept all of these from my youth. And one of the Gospels says Jesus looked at him and loved him. So Jesus wasn't being harsh. But he said, there's one more thing you need to do. And this was particular for this young man. Jesus said, you need to sell everything that you own. Give it all away and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. 
And for this rich young ruler, it was too big of an ask. See, this young man loved his money more than he loved God. And so he just sort of, you know, backs off because he had to process that. But we never get any idea that he acted on it. And then in Matthew chapter 19, verse 23, then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth. Now when Jesus says, I tell you the truth, <laughs> he is the truth. <laughs> so he's like, basically he's saying, hey, lean in. Lean in, guys. I tell you the truth. It is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. They couldn't believe it. Well, who in the world can be saved? This is confusing for them, and, and this is why. See, in the Middle Eastern culture, wealth was a sign of the favor of God. Being affluent, having lots of possessions and power and influence. That was all signs that God was with you. And if you were poor, if you were the Amha Aretz, the dirt people, God wasn't with you. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't figure this out. How, how can this be, Lord? We don't understand how that adds up. And then in verse 26, Jesus says this. He looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, everything is possible. And you need to internalize that today, what Jesus said. With God, everything is possible. You may be facing some of the most difficult circumstances, and we heard some of them this morning from some of these families. And here's what we do as a church when people are hurting and when people are going through good things and all the in-between times. We multiply our joys and we divide our sorrows. That's the strength of the body of Christ. We help each other and love one another. So if you're going through a difficult time today, you have to know in your heart of hearts, you know, with, with, with me, nothing's possible. I can't make anything happen. But with God, all things are possible. And I'm here to tell you it's going to be all right. And God is going to get you through it. Just hang in there with Jesus. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. But that answer just wasn't quite satisfactory. <laughs> and so Peter speaks up. And Peter asked the question that we're all thinking, and they were all thinking. So then Peter said to him, Matthew 19, 27, Hey, Jesus, wait a minute. We've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? <laughs> What's in it for us? And Jesus replied, and I'm sure he was smiling when he said this. He said, well, I assure you, that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon His glorious throne, now He's got their attention, you who have been My followers will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses and brothers or sisters or father or mother or children 
or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. Wow. Thrones, people, authority. Peter's probably thinking, now we're talking. Yeah, I'm in. Count me in. And then Jesus follows up that statement and probably left some of them behind because they're imagining themselves on these 12 glorious thrones, judging all Israel. He just, you know, just visions of grandeur. And then Jesus kind of brings it all back down to earth again, kind of, you know, with the, just pop. In verse 30, but many who are the greatest now will be least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. What? It's not sure about that. You see, as God establishes His kingdom on earth, the people that our culture celebrates now will soon be forgotten. And those that are forgotten and nobody knows about are going to be the ones in charge. (laughs) If you don't believe me, Who was the vice president of the United States 100 years ago? Come on. Anybody? Anybody? No, you can't Google it. You don't have time. Thomas R. Marshall. Really? (laughs) Who's that? We've forgotten. He was probably, obviously, the vice president of the United States 100 years ago. Everybody knew, oh, yeah, that's Vice President Marshall. Wait, like, we didn't. Who? It's going to be different. But there's a lesson in grace for those of us who do know the Lord and are serving Him. And so Jesus says again in verse 30, but many who are first will be last and the last first. So what does that mean? Well, Jesus tells them a story so that they can understand and so that we can understand. And that's what we're going to do. Just We're going to quickly unpack this. So Matthew chapter 20. Now I've given you a context for what's about to happen. Matthew chapter 20 verse 1. Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. You know, this man was a manager, but he personally went. And it's very interesting. This is a scene they, they'd seen over and over every day. So it's very familiar. Now just to contextualize this, a laborer at the time of Jesus, in our time, the equivalent is they earned about $166 a day. Just to put it into perspective. So this manager goes out and he personally starts hiring people. Then in verse 3, at 9 o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace. And saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling him them that he would pay them what was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard, and at noon and again at 3 o'clock, he did the same thing. Interesting. See, the landowner kept hiring men. And we just have to kind of surmise, well, maybe you know, the grape harvest had to come in. They just kept throwing more and more workers at it. Or maybe... This man was 
generous and he saw men standing around and when men were standing around, that means that there were wives and children who weren't going to eat that night. And so he just starts hiring them and filling up his vineyard with more and more workers. Then verse 6, at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, he was in town again and saw some more people standing around. So just know this, the workday began at 6 a.m., It's 5 p.m. now. It's the 11th hour. That's where that phrase comes from. Late in the game. See some men standing around, 5 o'clock, and he hires them as well. This tells us some things about God, and this is what I want you to know. So write this down, number one. God is more productive than we think. He's way more productive. In Matthew 20, verse 6, he asked them, why haven't you been working today? Well, and they replied, because no one hired us. The landowner told them, well, then, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. See, he must have had a good reputation. He didn't even negotiate a price with them. Just, just go out. This last hour, just go out there, just go. And, and they went. You see, God is way more productive than we think. He is personally stewarding your experience in Him every day. Every minute of every day. He's watching out for you. He's caring for you. He doesn't doesn't waste one minute of daylight. He's making sure that everything is fulfilling His Word about you. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. Amen? All things. Say it with me. All things. That means including everything and excluding nothing. All things. The good, the bad, the difficult. You thought I was going to say ugly, didn't you? Everything is working together for our good. And I just want to say this again, that whatever you're facing, especially those of us facing the difficult times, It's going to make sense someday. It's going to make a lot of sense someday. Someday in heaven the curtain will be pulled back and you will understand. A lot of people don't know this. We have four children. But you can only really see three. Our daughter Olivia had a a twin that we lost. And I don't know why God said, Olivia's going to be on earth and her sister's going to be in heaven, but I just know someday I'm going to meet, and meet my other daughter. And we're going to be reunited. Don't know why. I just know that someday it's going to make sense. I'm sorry. We're going to understand. In Matthew 20, verse 8, we read that evening he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them. And then he did something very unusual. Beginning with the last workers first. That was unusual. That didn't happen. The first hired always got paid first because they'd borne the heat of the day. 
You see, the Torah, the law, required that employers pay their employees promptly. In Deuteronomy 24:14, we read, Never take advantage of poor and destitute laborers, whether they are fellow Israelites or foreigners living in your towns. You must pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and they're counting on it. If you don't, they might cry out to the Lord against you and it would be counted against you as sin. James actually says this very same thing in the New Testament. And so if you're here today or you're watching and you're an employer, it's very, very important that you treat your employees fairly. And don't leverage them and their patience because you made a mistake. That's the principle here. And then a huge surprise came. Jesus, you know, he's, he keeps oh, throwing all these twists in the story because it was like, wait a minute, that, that's not right. Really, that happened? And in Matthew 20, verse 9, when those hired at 5 o'clock were paid, they each received a full day's wage. These are the guys who are like, man, nobody hired us. Well, just go out there and I'll pay you whatever, you know, whatever is right. All right. So they went out, worked an hour. They come to payday and, and the man is handed out 164, 165, 166, $166. And they were shocked. Are you kidding me? Yes, that's what, the, that's what the owner said. Go on your way. Next! Call the next guy forward. They couldn't believe it. They were absolutely amazed. You see, God's not only more productive than we think. He's more generous than we know. I want you to write that down. Number two, God is more generous than we know. See, Jesus said the last would be first. And again, it's usually not done that way. I'm telling you, the one-hour workers, they must have been thrilled. And we can almost infer that the 9 a.m. workers, the noon workers, the 3 p.m. workers all received a full day's wage. You know, the line's pretty long. The guy kept hiring. And so the people that were hired, you know, that at the 6 a.m., they're probably like, what's going on up there? Everyone's so excited. What's happening? And you have to wonder if the guys who <laughs> were hired at 6 a.m., like, oh, man, I just, I just heard that the guys up there, they're getting a full day's wage. Man, we worked all day. I wonder what we're going to get. And they're like, man, I smell generosity. And they're just... Just waiting for something good to happen. See, generosity is a wonderful trait. It's attractional. It's attractional. One of the things I love about your cafe, we, we do something very similar. Those, those monies go towards missions. You know, we give away a lot of stuff in our church. We don't charge people. You already paid for it. You already paid for it. And so we, we just give it away. And people are like, really? Absolutely. 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 Generosity is a wonderful trait. Psalm 112 verse 4 says this, Light shines in the darkness for the godly. They are generous, compassionate, and righteous. So the question is, who are the one-hour workers in our lives? Who are they? Well, I would submit to you, it's the people that maybe have destroyed their lives through addiction and substance abuse 
and later, way late in life, are finally now coming to Christ. Thank God for CR ministry. Thank God that people are getting set free here. Thank God that people are finding true freedom in Jesus Christ. The one-hour workers are maybe the people that go all throughout their lives and, and just, you know, mock God and, and don't believe in Him. The one-hour workers are people who actually come to Christ on their deathbed. I shared with the first service, my mom's family was an immigrant family. They came from Yugoslavia, Hungary. So my aunts and uncles, they were born in the old country. In fact, my uncle Victor, and that's not his real name, they changed all the kids' names at Ellis Island. So my aunt, her name was Aranka. Her name became Mary because <laughs> it sounded more American. And get this, my wife's, my mom's name was Mary Ann, her sister. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, so Uncle Victor, he was born in a field in Europe. My grandma was working, pregnant with Uncle Victor. She had him in a field. He grew up this rough, tough, tough as nails. I mean, really rough around the collar. And hated Christianity. Hated Christians. And this is, this is the funny part about God. His daughter, Barb, came to faith in Jesus during the Jesus movement in the 70s. And then Barb married a very on-fire young man named Ken. So here now he's got Barbie and Ken. <laughs> and they're both on-fire Christians and Uncle Victor's not really having it. In fact, my, my cousin Ken, he said, um, Sir, we'd like to read Scripture. They invited everybody over for Thanksgiving. Hey, I'd like to read Scripture. Thanksgiving's about giving thanks. Can I, can I read a Scripture? He, he said, No, and he kicked Ken out of his house. That's what kind of man he was. So Victor accidentally later in life falls off his porch and hit his head and he goes into a coma. And so I went to visit Uncle Victor. I was very young in the Lord. I was a teenager. And the nurses told me, he's in a coma. He's not going to respond to you necessarily, but he can hear everything that you're saying. So just talk to him. So I took his hand and I said, Uncle Victor, it's Mikey. That's, they called me Mikey. You know, you, you lose that. It's Mikey. Um, I just want to pray for you and, and tell you about Jesus. And when I said that, he just he stiffened up like this in, in the bed. And you could, I mean, and, and his vital signs were gone, and the nurses run in. It's like, dee, 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 you know, and then all the equipment's gone. And, and the nurse's like, this, it's too much. It's, it's too much. No. And so I, I just backed off, and I went home, and I prayed again because they told us that Victor was dying. So I said, okay. So I came back the next day. <laughs> And I did the same thing. I took his hand and I said, Uncle Victor, it's Mikey. And I'm here again. 
And I want to let you know that Jesus loves you. I didn't even ask him. I just, I want to let you know that Jesus loves you. Jesus died for your sins. And you need to put your pride aside and confess that you need him because only perfect people get into heaven. And I want to pray for you. And this time when I shared that, I said, Uncle Victor, if you'd like me to pray for you, would you squeeze my hand? He squeezed my hand. And so I just, I quietly, I just, I prayed over him. And, and I said, I said, in Jesus' name, you receive. And, he said, and, and I said, squeeze my hand if you believe this and you're trusting in Jesus. And he squeezed my hand. Two days later, he was gone. Uncle Victor was a one-hour, 11th-hour believer. And the question is, for the people like that, are you happy for him? When God's amazing grace is poured out on a, a, a rough, rough person, I mean, acerbic, just, are we happy for them? Are we glad? Or are we like the workers that were hired first? wonder what I'm going to get. <laughs> and so Matthew in verse 10, Jesus said, and when those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more. But they too were paid a day's wage. Wait, what? See, we're used to functioning in a world where one's rewards are generally proportionate to one's service. That's just pretty much how it works. Although I'm not so sure that the average NFL player is worth a thousand high school teachers. That's just me. I question that. And in verse 11, Jesus goes on and he says, when they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour. One hour. And yet you've paid them as much as you've paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. They were not happy. You know, if you've got kids, if you're a parent, You've kind of heard a version of this. It goes like this. That's not fair. Right? That's not fair. We used to hear that from our kids. You heard it too. I know you did. Yep. (laughs) So God's not only more generous than we know. I want you to write this down. Number three. God is more just than we're aware. He's more just than we're aware. And so Jesus gives the response. He gives the response that the landowner said. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should I be jealous? Should you be jealous just because I'm kind to others? See, God is sovereign. He can do whatever He wants, when He wants, and how often He wants. He doesn't need my permission or your permission to do what He wants. He's sovereign. 
and mercy and grace are His to do with as He pleases. See, we don't set the terms, we just agree to the terms. He strips away the notion that you can earn heaven in any way. That you can somehow be good enough. Or that our heavenly rewards will somehow be unjust when we get there. Or how about this? That we're competing against other Christians or other churches. He strips all of that away just because of His grace and His mercy. And He leaves us dependent upon His generosity. See, my wife, my wife is, she's, she's demure, she's beautiful, she's sweet, she's a lot, she's a lot like Marion, just the same way. But she's high-powered. When she's on a mission, she's on a mission. My wife homeschooled our kids. Every day they were standing there saying the Pledge of Allegiance. Stand up straighter, okay? <laughs> saying the Pledge of Allegiance. Loving God, loving their mom and dad, loving their neighbors, loving the church, just being good citizens. That's the way she raised them. And when they pulled the, that's not fair card out, she had a saying. She said, listen, I'm the boss, you're the applesauce. <laughs> Got it? Turn to the person next to you and say, God's the boss, you're the applesauce. <laughs> Just the way it is. Can't change it. So Jesus reiterates this. He said, so those in verse 16 who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. You know, it's not easy to work 12 hours in the hot sun and get paid the same thing as those who only labored one hour or no hours, right? But here's the caveat to this, and this is really true. Sometimes you're the one-hour worker, and sometimes you're the 12-hour worker depending on the situation. And so I want to leave you with these thoughts. And I want you to understand this. Let's be Christ-like in our approach to life. Let's love God in this way. And here's the first thing. Just write this down. Work hard. Work hard. I tell this to our business people. We've got company presidents sitting next to factory workers, sitting next to single moms. We're, we're just a mix of everything. Work hard. Go to work. Go to work early and pray for your company. Pray that your company prospers. Pray that God gives the leaders in your company good ideas. And if someone starts creating a bad culture through gossip, just, just excuse yourself from that conversation. You can walk away, and if they come to you later, you can just say, you know what, I, I love and appreciate you, but, but I'm a believer, and I'm just not going to talk about people behind their back. Can you say amen? amen? Nothing worse than being in a divided culture that way. And oh, by the way, that goes for the same at church. Amen. Not this church. You know, just you guys. Are, that never happens here. So work hard. Don't be a thermometer. Be a thermostat. Set the environment. 
Just because you're there, you're a change agent because you carry the Spirit of God in your life. So work hard. Here's the second thing. Just be generous. Be generous wherever you are. You know, there was a Roman law in first century Israel that by law, a soldier could ask any Jew to carry his pack for an entire mile. Jesus said, not just one mile, go the extra mile. Carry it two miles and just show generosity. Because when you show generosity, you're showing the character of Christ who's generous to all of us. He makes His reign to fall on the just and the unjust. He makes His sun to shine on the good and the evil. He's generous. Be like your Father in heaven. And let people know what He's really like. And then lastly, I would just say this. Act justly. The world's got an upside-down view of what justice is. We're in a cancel culture, church. But there's nothing that can cancel out people who do justly and love mercy and loving kindness and those who walk humbly with their God. Nothing can cancel that out because people know that it comes from heaven. There is no justice apart from heaven. And that's why we couldn't earn our way there. If you or I could have been good enough to earn heaven, Jesus would have never had to come and die on the cross. The rich young ruler thought he was good enough. Thought that he had lived a perfect life and kept all the commandments. And yet his heart was not bent towards God. And Jesus, who loved him, just revealed it to him so he could see it for himself. He had kept something between him and the Almighty, the Creator. I want to pray for you today. I want to pray for you because we come from so many different places every single week. And some here today, you feel far from God. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus Christ and His demands of lordship. If He's not first on your list, I'm telling you right now, He's not on your list at all. He won't be slotted in third, fourth, fifth. Maybe you've never heard the good news that Jesus died for you. 
and that all you have to do is receive the gift of faith. You don't have to work for it. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You just receive it from Him. And then walk forward in believing loyalty to Him. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you have perfect Sunday school attendance. Maybe you were confirmed. Maybe you served as an altar boy. Maybe you were baptized. Maybe you gave your life to Christ at youth camp. But for some reason, you know you're far from God today. God is calling you home now. Today is the day of salvation. I want to pray for you. Would you just make the place where you're sitting the altar where you meet God today and be completely honest with Him? Just bow your head with me. Close your eyes. I want to pray for you right where you're at. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or come forward. I'm just going to ask you to pray right where you're at. And if you're here today and you would say, Mike, I'm not 100% sure that if today were my last day on earth, that Jesus would welcome me into his heaven. Or maybe today you just feel so far from God and you know you need to get back to him. He's one prayer away. In about a minute, I'm going to pray. And if you want to be included in on that prayer, either to come to Jesus for the first time or come back to Christ, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask you to let me know that. You say, Mike, count me in. Count me in. I'm going to ask you to just lift up your hand. Hold it up high right now if that's you. You want to be included in that prayer? Yes, 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 yes. God bless you. Yes, sir. Good job. Yes. You're on the front row. Are there others? Are there others? Yes. All the way back there. Yes, 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 yes. Young man, yes. Good job. Yes, Yes, right here. Yes, young man. Good job. I see you. Good job. Are there others? Yes, sir. You need to get back to God. Yes. You can put your hands down. I want to pray for you, and I, I just I want to put some words to where your heart is at. And as you sincerely mean this in your heart, God's going to respond to you. You can walk out of here knowing God and having peace in your heart even in the midst of a storm. And so I'm going to ask all of us together as a family to pray this out loud. I just want you to pray and repeat after me. Just say this, Lord Jesus, I need you. I thank you today that you died for me. I repent of my sin. I turn away from it. And I turn to you. Forgive me. Come into my life. Take control of my life. I want to walk with you. I believe that you rose from the dead. And someday... I will be with you in heaven because of your goodness to me. I receive this today.
in Jesus' name. And everybody said out loud, amen and amen, amen. Come on, let's give those a hand that just prayed that prayer. Oh, you can do better than that. Come on. Yes. Good job. Good job. Now, this is what we'd like you to do. We've got prayer partners that care very much about you. And, and those that made that decision, what we want you to do is in a minute, they're going to come up here and, and pray for you, okay? It's very important. The people that, that came with you or brought you, they'll, they'll wait for you. But you need to connect with somebody from Living Stones Church. Tell them what you did, and they're going to begin to help you with that. And Pastor Ron, can I just submit this to you, sir? That third song that we sang today, that song of blessing, um, my heart was just very touched by it. Jesus said, when you go into a house and you find a man of peace, and I'm telling you, Pastor Ron is a man of peace, leave a blessing. Just leave your peace there. Leave a blessing. So I'm going to ask all of you to just stand to your feet. And Elisha, would you just, just, just go in and just sustain a, a G or something? Just, just sustain a G note, okay? Would you just lift up your hands and just receive this? And this is what we sang Shalom. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And amen. God bless you.